The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 367 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is developing services for Canadians living with FASD. The World Health Organization in its 2014 publication called Guidelines for the Identification and Management of Substance Use and Substance Use Disorders in Pregnancy recognized fetal alcohol spectrum disorders as a range of physical and brain-related developmental abnormalities attributed to the effects of alcohol on the unborn child, the fetus. Now, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders last a lifetime. They create various distinct challenges throughout the stages of life, stages like early childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, and mature adulthood. They create challenges for family caregivers, their family caregivers, throughout all of the stages. Um, Fetal alcohol spectrum disorders have no cure, though some medications and behavior therapy may help, but no one treatment is right for everyone. The most serious of the fetal alcohol spectrum disorders is called fetal alcohol syndrome, abbreviated to FAS which may variously result in death of the unborn child, growth defects of the unborn child's brain, bones, face, and some organs, and it may result in challenges for things like learning and remembering, understanding and following directions, controlling emotions, communicating and socializing, feeding and bathing, and other skills of daily life, and generally coordinating actions. All of which is why our topic, Developing Services for Canadians Living with FASD, is so important for family caregivers and their family members. To discuss it, our guest is Dr. Dorothy Birdry. Dorothy holds the PhD and is a registered social worker. She's an associate professor in the Faculty of Social Work, University of Calgary, Canada. Her doctoral dissertation, entitled Becoming a Birth Mother of a Child with Fetal Alcohol Syndrome, reviewed the lives of eight women between the ages of 25 and 60 who all had born children subsequently diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. 
Dorothy is co-chair of the Education and Training Council of the Alberta FASD Cross-Ministry Committee. She's a long-standing member of the Prairie Child Welfare Consortium and the Network Action Team on Women's Determinants of Health with Canada FASD Research Network. She currently focuses on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders in various research projects. Her current research project focuses on FASD and homelessness. She's the lead author on the Caregiver Curriculum on FASD, which is a series of self-study modules for caregivers, family caregivers and others interested in learning about FASD. So welcome to the show, Dorothy. Thank you very much, Gordon. Now, first question for you. Please tell us more about your life, your career, and your experience of family caregiving for close family members with serious health conditions. Dorothy? Yes, I uh, have been long interested in the field of disability and became a parent myself in 1988 of a daughter who has a metabolic condition, a mitochondrial disease, who was diagnosed when she was about two years old. Despite the medical challenges and social challenges and educational challenges, my daughter continues to thrive uh, and has a supportive roommate, a close-knit family support network, and the medical care that she needs. It has been a challenge, for sure, to be a caregiver, but my daughter has been the light of my life. She's been a great joy to my family, and she has really taught me that a lot of disabilities are really about ability and what children and families can accomplish in a supportive framework and with the right care in place. Thank you. Very important what you just said. Uh, We'll come back to that. Now, next question. Please tell us more about your doctoral dissertation. You know, we mentioned the title, Becoming a Birth Mother of a Child with Fetal Alcohol Syndrome. Please tell us more about that. I recognized early that birth mothers of children with fetal alcohol syndrome, which I will now refer to as fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, FASD, just to use a common language, were judged much more harshly than parents of children with other developmental disabilities. I, when I worked in the child welfare field from 1986 until 2002, I became deeply aware of fetal alcohol syndrome initially, and which was identified by Jones and Smith in 1973 from a medical model and became aware of, of FASD within child welfare and really recognized that many marginalized women were birth mothers. I sought to interview birth mothers specifically of children with fetal alcohol syndrome in the night, in the last decade when I was doing my research because I really wanted to ensure that we were capturing the experience of children who live with this disability and what the mother's lived experience was as well. I suspected that there was a pathway of historical trauma, abuse that women had experienced, and I really wanted to explore that phenomenon because I did not believe that women were intentionally setting out to harm their children 
through their use of alcohol during pregnancy. I actually interviewed eight women who, in the end, had a total of 27 pregnancies and 19 live births. Many had experienced abuse as children. They were exposed to alcohol very early in their family of origin, and often a mother or father or both were described as alcoholic by these women. Additionally, they experienced sexual abuse in many instances, and this was really unresolved, and women needed a lot of support. One of the ways that women cope with their challenges is to self-medicate with alcohol. So you can imagine a birth mother having lots of struggles with addiction, perhaps coming to the attention of the child protection system and being evaluated and assessed on her ability to care for her child. These women have many issues of grief and loss, In fact, one of the women herself had an FASD, and she had had a total of eight pregnancies and five live births, and all those children were in care. And in fact, she had at that point even become a grandmother of another child with an FASD. But what I recognized was that these women really had suffered in their lives and that it was time to reframe FASD from a women's health perspective because it really takes on a different meaning. When we look at women with compassion and care and we don't blame them for using alcohol during pregnancy, we approach the whole problem differently. And we recognize that drinking in pregnancy is a very challenging discourse for society. It is subject to much debate, to moralization, And yet we recognize that as a society, one of our responsibilities is to support and take care of women who are pregnant. The findings in my research really challenge the the idea or the notion that women were, were blameworthy and really recognized who the women were as persons, what struggles they had had, and what they were doing to care for their children because many of the mothers actually had the children with them that I interviewed. Some didn't. One woman had had her child apprehended at birth only to be returned to her at 18 years of age, and she had suffered a great deal of loss and grief for that period of time. It was a very difficult challenge for her. Right. Now, Dorothy, I'm only going to interrupt you because of what I call the tyranny of time, because I want to ask you another question, but we're going to go back to the things you've just been saying, which are profoundly important. So, Dorothy, this last question for this particular segment is, I'd like you to tell us more about your work as it relates to services for family caregivers with family members living with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. In other words, the services for the family caregivers, how does your work involve those? What's really interesting about family caregivers is that they constitute a variety of groups. For example, you have adopted parents, you have foster parents, and you have kinship care providers that are often relatives of, of children who cannot be cared for by their parents. Personally, I had two close friends who adopted children with FASD, and I really saw the struggles that they had. One of the challenges in adoption is that often information about prenatal alcohol exposure 
was never given to the family. So they had no sense of the confounding challenges that their children would have. So when we look at uh, a child who doesn't seem to have any kind of health problems, but in fact has a disability caused by prenatal alcohol exposure, we need to recognize that these parents are the ones that are often highlighting and bringing to the attention of service providers and and the medical community the needs of their child. It might be about health. It might be about development. And we know that FASD is not typically diagnosed in, in infancy. So caregivers need support in helping the child develop optimally through various therapies. Uh, might be an occupational therapist would be the best kind of support. The other big area where families need support is the behavioral challenges because they often seem atypical, these behavior challenges, and the strategies that parents have often used with other children don't work, so this is frustrating for families. So we recognize that there's a need for really concrete training in FASD for caregivers of children so that they can manage the various social, emotional, behavior challenges that emerge over time and over especially key developmental periods in the child's life. Dorothy, I'm going to stop you there only because of the tyranny of time, as I say, because we need to take the break. This is where I always say we have to pay the rent. Mm-hmm. So we'll do that. We'll do that now. Okay. And, but you're going to get another opportunity to uh, talk more about these things that we've we've highlighted. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Dorothy Badry. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and SharingTheBurden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, creator of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to 
Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome, you all, our listeners, all back to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Dorothy Badry. Our topic is developing services for Canadians living with FASD. Now, Dorothy, let's talk about the types of services that are provided for fetal alcohol spectrum disorders and where the responsibilities lie for providing these services. So my first question is to ask you to explain, first of all, what's involved in the type of service that's called intervention. Could you give us a couple of examples? And please could you summarize for us where at present the responsibilities lie for providing intervention? Great question. When we see a child that is diagnosed with FASD, just to provide a bit of background, there should be a recognition that that we need to look at why FASD is an outcome. We need to look at what's happened in the family, look back and see what is happening in that woman's history in order to be able to effectively intervene going forward. Intervention does occur on a number of levels. With women, we want to intervene when they've already given birth to a child with suspected or confirmed FASD diagnosis. We do have programs, for example, the Parent-Child Assistance Program, which was largely derived from the work of Dr. Therese Grant and her team out of the University of Seattle, Washington, University of Washington in Seattle. And this group has largely been leading the way with providing training to individuals in Alberta who run the PCAP programs, as well as sharing knowledge and information about the best way to intervene with birth mothers. So that's one model of intervention, and that involves intensive mentorship for three years. And the program in Edmonton, Alberta, actually has three branches. One is First Steps, which is directed toward birth mothers in a long-term mentoring preventative role. Step-by-step is working with parents who themselves have an FASD, and coaching families is for those relatives or others, such as caregivers raising children with FASD. So the other area of intervention will certainly be children in need of protection, due largely to the chaos of active addiction in their families. So often due to these circumstances, children are brought into care, and they would be thoroughly assessed, including medical and psychological uh, supports. In fact, in Edmonton, we have a program called Pediatric Kids in Care, and that is a one-stop place for children who come into care so they can have a consistent uh, physician and team around them. The other just larger societal level for intervention would be related to, to prevention, through health messaging, and the message that no alcohol is best during pregnancy is a really critical message that needs to be given, and we need to, I believe, intervene with our young people who are in college and university who are binge drinking, and we need, as well as professional women, and we need to recognize that FASD is not only a women's issue and bring it to the attention of men who are involved with women who become birth mothers. Right. Now, 
Um, for my second question, I'm going to ask you to say more about prevention. You've already said some very important things, including um, such as including men in the prevention. Um, you mentioned binge drinking, but please go into more detail about what's involved in prevention and where the responsibilities actually lie for providing it. Dorothy? You know, prevention is an interesting term because it implies that we would engage in health practices that would alter an outcome. Smoking, for example, is one that is known widely when one stops smoking that there are basically immediate health benefits. With alcohol, it's a little more complex, and we have to treat FASD prevention as a societal issue and not just a personal issue. So intervention is somewhat, prevention is somewhat complex and multi-layered because alcohol is so interwoven into the fabric of our society and literally available at every corner. Moralizing alcohol does not support prevention, and so what we need to do is look at, a, at approaches that are from a women's health lens to recognize that we just can't blame women because they often don't drink alone, and we know they certainly don't get pregnant alone. So we need to move the issue to one that does not blame women and that begins to address some of the issues associated with the alcohol use, particularly problematic alcohol use, and, and I believe firmly in a harm reduction approach. And, you know, women may not be able to stop whatever addictive behavior is going on in their lives, but we can provide supports through social services, through various community-based programs, and we can make their needs, especially pregnant women who are using a huge priority, in the service system. So if they need addiction treatment, we want to get them in there right away. And the other thing that's critically important for women is to provide support when it's asked for, to be as immediate as possible. And the other area of prevention is for, again, individuals themselves who have FASD who need supports around sexual health, around issues related to pregnancy, and childbirth. And we would hope to stop the intergenerational cycle of FASD in families. Could you just briefly say what you mean by intergenerational in the way you've just expressed it? In my experience working in child welfare for 16 years, we often came across families where FASD was a concern, and it wasn't just a concern for the children that we became involved with. It was a concern for their parents, for their grandparents. So there was an intergenerational cycle that was often related to, in many cases, poverty, addictions, the bigger social issues that intersect with individual family lives and that can somewhat be mediated through a number of supports. But it is known that women who give birth to a child with FASD are at much higher risk of having other births subsequent to that. So the, the idea to work intergenerationally and to, for example, you have a grandmother who's caring for their granddaughter who has FASD, the child's mother has FASD. The idea to stop that young person from giving birth to a child with FASD through not consuming alcohol during pregnancy is quite manageable with supports in place. Right. Now, my next question is, 
Again, same sort of question. I'd like you to explain to us what's involved in providing support for family caregivers and families living with family members who are living with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And what, where do the responsibilities lie for providing this type of support? Dorothy? There are many children who are brought into the care of a child protection system that cannot be in their families of origin for reasons related to addictions and potentially other problems. So let's talk about caregivers as children who are in adoptive, foster, or kinship care. And these providers actually have a key role in prevention because they are raising the generation of children with FASD. And they can have some role in influencing outcomes for that child through support over their lifetime, through engaging them in positive activities. And in some cases, contact with biological families is perfectly acceptable and important as long as there are not safety concerns. For some women, when their children are apprehended, they lose their motivation to stop drinking. So some of those relationships are really critical to consider and to examine in terms of what's in the best needs of of children. It is also important for caregivers to strongly recognize that children and youth with FASD have very high needs, and they are also very bright children and recognize that they face difficulties that other children in their own family or at school may not have. Um, These kids face challenges in the school system and families Caregivers often are the main lobby for supports for the needs that their children have. So I would say that family caregivers have a huge responsibility because when children are placed with them, their needs are high, they're complex, and they include supportive care, supervision, respite, and breaks as needed because you want to maintain the child in their routine, but you also have to recognize that caregivers may need some respite and some additional supports in caring for particular children with FASD. Dorothy, this is a loaded question, but let me ask you straight out. Do you think there is enough recognition of the need on the part of society, however we define it, to provide the kind of supports that you've been talking about for family caregivers and for their family members and for the intergenerational challenges and for the way in which more and more retired women, this is the um, kinship caring group, who are retired, spending their pensions, caring for an elder or for um, a young person who's a member of the family with one of these challenges. Dorothy, is there enough recognition? I believe that we probably have underserved and supported family caregivers. We often don't recognize the burden of care placed on family caregivers, and I think it's really important that while we recognize children cannot be cared for at times by their own family, We also need to recognize that the responsibility placed on family caregivers is absolutely uh, a high load. And we just had a visitor here from Australia who's doing her research on FASD in Indigenous communities in her country, and they coined a term called granny burnout. 
Granny burnout is referring to grandmothers who are raising their grandchildren who have FASD and are just having a lot of challenges in caring for them. It is not dissimilar here. We often have elderly grandparents who are raising grandchildren who have FASD and other problems. These children don't just have FASD. They often come with mental health challenges, uh, with health needs, and the, the idea that you have to support and supervise and structure a child's life from, from childhood through adolescence and into adulthood is a tremendous burden to families, right. and it needs to be recognized as a lifespan disability. Right. Now, uh, once again, it's time to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Avery. My guest is Dr. Dorothy Badri. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What kind of world do you want to live in? Should we continue down our current path, or is there a better way? Together, we can change the world. We must start with ourselves, then we can future-proof our homes, businesses, and communities. Many people don't realize it, but most of our society's biggest problems can be solved using current technology. My name is Shane Wolf, and I want to help you understand what you can do right now to make a difference while saving money, reducing your environmental impact, and improving the health of yourself and the people around you. Join me for Future Proof Radio, and let's build a better world. Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Families today face unique challenges. Marriage, parenting, and family forms have changed a lot in the last century. Family Matters with Dr. Virginia Collin will focus on building and maintaining healthy family relationships. We will discuss marriage, divorce, family mediation, parenting, lifestyles, and mental health. All kinds of family matters. Our show will feature guest experts and your participation, too. You can listen to Family Matters live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Dorothy Badry. Our topic is developing services for Canadians living with FASD. Dorothy, now let's talk about developing consistency in delivery of the types of services provided for fetal alcohol spectrum disorders across Canada. In other words, the things you've been talking about. So I'm going to ask you, first of all, please highlight the advantages that you see in increasing consistency across Canada in the delivery of these services. Dorothy? Within Canada, we have 
an overarching research group called the Canada FASD Research Network, which has expanded to include all of Canada in the last year. Now, if we look at um, some recent research that looks at a tri-provincial initiative to expand understanding of cost, services, and prevention of FASD as a public health issue for children and youth in care, we recognize that many of the resources are available in Western Canada and are far less developed um, in other provinces, uh, particularly Eastern Canada, Northern Canada. So we we certainly do not have a consistent portrait of services across Canada. The services that are most likely to come into contact with children with FASD are often related to child welfare. And so child welfare in particular has a responsibility in many cases to care for, I would suggest, the majority of children in care with FASD. And that's largely because of parental addiction, chaos, and perhaps parents are not in the picture for whatever reason. What we've done in Alberta is to develop a a community of practice. And so in the past five years, we've had very specific and advanced training on FASD to caseworkers, to foster care providers, through a process of training and case consultation that involves basically everybody involved in the life of the child, including, including teachers and various agencies. In terms of providing consistent knowledge and support and training about FASD, we had a project funded through the Public Health Agency of Canada from 2011 to 2013, sorry, 14. And that project, one of the outcomes of that project was the development of a care, a website, fsdchildwelfare.ca, as well as a caregiver curriculum on FASD. What we did was we took the, the best research and practical knowledge that we could find and put that into modules so that we could provide supports uh, for family caregivers that we recognized may not be able to access those supports consistently or from a rural, remote community. Perhaps consistency of access to the Internet was a problem, but we, we needed to put something online in order to allow caregivers to get this knowledge without any cost, without having to take a course, and perhaps they don't have opportunities to go to conferences. So we, our hope is that, that this caregiver curriculum that is focused not only on solid information about FASD, but on caregivers caring for themselves and, and kind of going through a bit of a process with each module, that they actually could, could benefit from that. Okay. Now, once again, time, I'm just going to take you to the next question because it's this. I want to ask you about the, to highlight the disadvantages you, you foresee in increasing consistency across Canada in the delivery of services. And what I'm asking about there is that the governments of Canada's provinces, equivalent to the states in the U.S., um, don't always see eye to eye on the way things are done. That is, they deliberately or unconsciously go off in different directions. And sometimes that gets into the newspapers as 
kind of controversy and the rest of it. So if we roll all of that challenge under the heading of disadvantages, what are the disadvantages you see in increasing consistency across Canada? You know, one of the biggest challenges that we face in Canada is that child welfare services are provincial. And so every province and every territory has their own piece of legislation and that there's not one consistent piece of legislation across the country. The other part in relation to that is that there are differential opportunities for service provision in perhaps more rural and remote communities. There may be language barriers. There may be uh, access barriers. And so the challenges, I think, before the child welfare system is to, is to continue to look at, at best practice, to examine research, which I believe in many cases is being done because FASD, although preventable, has not come to a stop. But if we look at it closely, we could also say that domestic violence and and other social problems are preventable. Poverty is preventable, theoretically. So the fact that FASD continues to be a concern and perhaps even is growing in prevalence, according to the Center of Addictions and Mental Health in Canada fairly recently, we need to be vigilant of the at-risk populations and to continue to support women who are at risk of giving birth to children with FASD because that's where prevention begins. So in relation to the disadvantages, we hope that a caregiver curriculum will will minimize some of those disadvantages in relation to, to training. I think the other disadvantage is that while we support children in care and perhaps can even extend care into young adulthood, we do not have a similar framework for adults with FASD who, again, continue to have very high needs into adulthood and across their lifespan. We've known about FASD for 40 years now, and we have a major increase in scientific knowledge, and we are slowly catching up in relation to social science knowledge and the way we do best practice. But it is not universal. There is not a consistent educational framework, and there is not always accessibility to education uh, within not just caregivers, but all those involved in the in the service sector for individuals with FASD. And we do know that a lot of young adults come into contact with the criminal justice system. And so that's another area where some work has been done, but again, we don't have a consistent framework that is able to respond on an as-needed, case-by-case basis. Right. Now, I'm going to turn to you and ask you a question about what you think and what you'd like to see happen. So I'm phrasing it this way. Please highlight the strategy that, in light of your research and your work, you would advocate as a way forward on the matter of consistency in delivery of services across Canada. And when I refer to services here, I'm talking about the things that you've just been mentioning. So what would be your strategy that you recommend, Dorothy? Well, a key strategy would be the critical message that caring for children and adults with FASD is that structure, support, and supervision are the hallmarks of good care 
but it can't stop. It needs to continue through every stage of development and through adult life. FASD as a diagnosis won't change, but there are aspects of living with FASD where individuals can be supported that it would make a difference. We need to engage in supportive decision-making and interdependent relationships. We need to seriously consider financial management, especially for adults with FASD, because many individuals with FASD become homeless because they are not able to pay the rent, because they are not able to manage their money. So perhaps we need some kind of trusteeship in relation to supporting people to live in the community. We know that the social behavioral challenges will remain, but I think that we can potentially, if we continue to have advocates and mentors for individuals with FASD, and often these are families and family caregivers, that that could make a difference. We also need to become as informed and knowledgeable about FASD as we can, and we need to recognize what works for that particular individual. And we need to also recognize the the challenges amongst the sectors that individuals with FASD cross, such as justice, such as mental health, such as child welfare, such as social services that provide uh, social assistance. So we really, and addiction treatment, we need to look at a way to link all these types of services together more seamlessly so that an individual with FASD as they move through childhood into adolescence, into adulthood, have a complete pathway, not one that just drops off when they become adults. And I think that's one of our biggest concerns today for people with FASD is that that same framework is not available for adults as may be for children who are in care. So just to come back to the question for adults, you've emphasized the point that the diagnosis doesn't change as the individual with the diagnosis as a child um, ages. So in other words, the care, the challenges, and the challenges to whoever's looking after the individual with the FASD um, continue throughout life. Um, And if I've understood you right, and I just want you just briefly to confirm this, what you're saying is we have to look at the whole life course we have to look at the family and we have to look at the generations. Um, and that you see, if I'm right, as a way of, or if you like, something that can be challenged and met and delivered through um, services that are consistent and unified across Canada. Dorothy, have I, have you, have I summarized you properly? Yes, and a critical part of that is to have training within each of those sectors so that people really have a solid understanding of what uh, FASD is about, what the needs of children, youth, and adults are about, that those caregivers have a voice in relation to somebody to support them. And I know I have a colleague who's just done a dissertation on adoptive parents of children with a diagnosis, an FASD diagnosis, and The amount of grief and loss by these adoptive parents is absolutely massive, and so we also need to provide that kind of support around those grief and loss issues, and we also need to um, continue with effective case management for 
individuals with FASD and to recognize that decisions that we make for a child follows that child into adulthood. Right. So it's a lifespan issue. Right. Now, once again, it's time to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Dorothy Badri. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Dorothy Badri. Our topic is developing services for Canadians living with FASD. Dorothy, I'd like to talk more and you to talk more about what we, you would like to do and see done to improve support for family caregivers, families and their family members, all involved with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. First, first question then is, what more would you like to do to improve support? I think that one of the biggest challenges with FASD is that because it is often considered an invisible disability, that individuals with FASD, are, their challenges are not as easily recognized. And so one of the functions of those around that person with FASD is to build the accommodations that they need, as we would for any person with a disability, to function well in their environment. I also want to point out that there are many individuals with FASD who are very successful, who manage with support and structure to have jobs, to to live productive lives, and so that, and the things when you look back at at why that's taking place, you recognize that the family or the caregivers had a major role in supporting the individual not only with 
with their challenges, but with their strengths. So we need to really consider a strengths-based approach. We need to look at the natural abilities and capacities of an individual and to really recognize that there are many areas in which some of us can succeed in life and some of us don't. We need to recognize what those areas are and to focus on those through just really building on strengths of the person. Right. Now, what more would you like to see done and by whom would it be done to improve the support you're talking about? Dorothy? I really think we need a lifespan protocol for FASD. Just like when we have children who come into care who are diagnosed with FASD, we have a pretty clear process about the diagnosis. We have a pretty clear process around how the information is conveyed. We have a pretty clear process in relation to the need to be very actively engaged in managing that person. So if we had an opportunity to develop services for individuals with FASD, we would want to look at what their lives are like over the lifespan, what planning we can do for individuals across the different decades of life, you know, what FASD looks like for an adult and what their particular challenges are. And we haven't really got a good educational framework uh, about FASD within the adult world. So, for example, I teach a course on FASD in child welfare practice. And that, of course, involves online with our Prairie Child Welfare Consortium and the University of Calgary, University of Regina, and University of Manitoba. I would like to see courses on FASD embedded into post-secondary education in all of the helping professions or at least some modules that people become aware of FASD because they often don't hear about it in their post-secondary education. So I think that's one area where it's really important. Right. Can I now just ask you a rather different question, Dorothy, please? What's your message, your message, for family caregivers who've recently learned that a family member will have to live with a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, in effect, for the rest of their lives? Dorothy? It is very difficult, I think, for parents, especially individuals who have raised a child, to recognize that the needs are lifelong. There's a lot of grief and loss with that, and there's a lot of concern. As for many parents of children with disabilities, what happens to my child as I get older or if I can't care or if I have health problems? So what we need to do is build circles of support around that individual in very similar ways that the world of developmental disability has done. And I think this is... Although recognized as a different disability, FASD is still a developmental disability, and so I think we can take some of the approaches learned in the disability field and apply them with individuals with FASD, and we need family support networks. We need to have a place where families can continue to voice their concerns to get support, and individuals with FASD perhaps have have their own unique needs, and so we need to adapt our supports to those needs, whether it be involvement with the criminal justice system, whether it be involvement with parenting for persons with FASD. There are many areas in which um, family caregivers have to provide support that is 
far beyond perhaps what anybody would have thought they had to. So we need to find spaces and places for family caregivers to come together to share their experiences, to learn from each other, and to gain support to carry on because it is a, it, it is a lifelong disability, but it can also be a lifelong struggle without ongoing supports, and adults are able to make their own decisions. Uh, individuals with FASD often don't meet the criteria for adult guardianship, so they, in essence, are emancipated adults. So that's where things can right. really be challenging. Right. Dorothy, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this powerful episode of Family Caregivers Unite. So I want to say thank you, first of all, for explaining so clearly the challenges and providing the advice that you have provided in various ways. And so all success to you and all the people you're working with out there in Western Canada and I'm going to be political now and say I think Eastern Canada has a lot to learn from the West. And you and what you've been saying and your colleagues are the focal point, I think, of that learning. So thank you. Thank now, you I very much, Gordon. <laughs> okay. And I want to say thank you to our listeners. Now, I just want to mention that with Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research. This is to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics such as the one we've just been listening to. So please email me to hear more or to get involved. Now, our next episode will be how family caregivers sharing their experiences helps others. So please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.